morning. Glad to see you all. Um, it's going to be a fun day. We're in the middle of a series called Exodus, if you're new with us. It's typically how we work. We just read through some scriptures for a while and make some observations about them. And so this is week three of a series called Exodus. And here's kind of the idea, if you're not familiar with the book of the Bible, Exodus. It's the second book of the Old Testament. And it's part of something called the Pentateuch. Okay, you want to say that with me? Pentateuch. No, you don't. I can tell. Okay, that's fine. Don't have to. Uh, not going to participate today. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll just do all the work up here, guys. You just sit there and get comfortable. Okay. Um, take your shoes off if you'd like. Anyway, so Pentateuch, basically it's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they were always, as they were written by a guy named Moses, they were always written to be able to be read and understood together, right? So it wasn't you're supposed to just pull out a couple of texts. For example, one of the, the, the passages today is the one that says the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still, or you need only to be still. Some of you have that tattooed really neat on you, and so it's a really cute verse. But it makes sense that we understand kind of where it fits into all the scriptures, and we'll do that today. So as we, when you read the book of Exodus, it was always meant to be understood or read in light of the whole story, right? Because, um, you know, what's interesting is every story, every story of all stories, no matter how good they are, right? If they have a bad ending, it's a bad story. Right, you've watched the movies and you've leaned into the whole movie and it's been riveting and exciting and then at the end something bad happens and you're like, I, can't, I hate that movie, right? You just keep waiting for the resolve and the goodness to happen and then it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter how well it's written, doesn't matter how funny it is, how moving it is, the fact that it has a bad ending makes it a bad story, right? Or you can watch a whole other movie, read a whole other book and the whole thing is just horrific right? He's going, this is the worst book in the world. This is the worst, worst story in the world. These are some horrible things that have happened. But then at the end, you get to the place where all of a sudden it all gets, you know, restored and redeemed. And you go, that's such a great book, or that's such a great movie, right? So we all know that whatever happens at the end can determine whether or not a story is good or bad. So if you were to take Exodus and look at some parts of it, or take the book of Genesis and just look at some parts of it, you go, ah, oh, that's a pretty terrible story. And yet, because the story ends up with a really, really great ending, it redeems the story. And so when you read the book of Exodus, or read the whole Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, when you read those, you can't read them in light of just one specific moment in, in the story. You have to see the whole story. And so for the last several weeks, I've been kind of explaining to you what that story is. And what's neat is the story of the Pentateuch, the story of Exodus, is actually the story of the whole Bible. And we would call that the gospel. Okay, that just means the good news. And as we go through every week, there's actually kind of this, what we call a meta-narrative, or this story about the story that kind of um, underwrites the whole story of Exodus, the whole story of the Bible, and it begins, like all good stories begin, with a creation, right? I've gotten good feedback from you guys. You can't read my writing. I understand, so we're going to go this way today. So, creation, and here's all that means, that somehow we all ended up here, right? There was nothing, and then there was something, and here's what the Bible tells us. This is amazing to me, right? That in the beginning, long before we existed, God existed, right? You might not believe that, might have a hard time grasping that. That's fair. It's hard to grasp, but every or most bright minds, no matter if you're a Christian or not, all had come to some conclusion that there had to be something kind of initiate this whole creation story, right? Even the Big Bang, if you start with these two atoms that kind of just bump into each other, you still have to go, well, where do those things come from, right? And so as you research and wonder all those things, that the best plausible and possible explanation is that there was some kind of intelligent designer. So what the Bible tells us, this is really neat, that long before we existed, God existed. And if that doesn't blow your mind already, God not only existed, he existed in three unique persons, okay? That's what we call the Trinity. That means there is a God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's what our Bible under, helps us understand. So you know what that means? Long before he existed, God existed, but he also existed in community, right? So God was in perfect community. So he had a son, he had the Holy Spirit, and they were in perfect community where they had perfect love, right? And what we would understand in the scriptures is not only did they have perfect love, they had infinite amounts of it. They had infinite amounts of love and affection and connection, right? So long before we show up, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit decided that because they had infinite amounts of love and connection, right, what do you do with that stuff? You can't let it go to waste, right? If you have way too much food, you hate throwing it in the trash can, and so you're trying to figure out what neighbor you can take it to, 
right? Is there a shelter you can drop the food off, right? Because if you have uh, too much supply for something, you're trying to find an object or a subject to give the extra supply to. You follow me? So in the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they had infinite supply of love and affection and relationship and connection. So guess what they decided to do with it? They decided to create subjects to give that to. You know who those are? That's right, you and I, right? So it said that God made man in his own image, in his own likeness. Why? So he could pour out his blessings, pour out his love, pour out his affection, pour out his community, pour out his connection, all those things on us. So when we understand the framework of creation, God created, creates all things. And in all those things, he creates human beings, which is really important because science might give you some explanations on how all this happened. But science cannot at all wrestle with or deal with the why this happened, right? Which I would argue is a much more important question. Not how do we get here, but why in the world are we here? And our Bible helps us understand. And religion sometimes helps us understand that there is a deity or a creator God who created all of us specifically to be connected to him. Now, that's a really, really great story. And what we'd understand here and what I would tell you is that this story was an act of God's will, right? He decided that he wanted to create human beings, and so he spoke it all into existence. Act of God's will. So all this gets started with an act of God's will. He makes a decision, and he does what he promises he's going to do, right? Now, the second part of the story, which is a sad part of the story, is what we'd refer to as the fall, okay? And if creation was an act of God's will, then the fall was an act of our own, right? So God, in his perfect will, creates us and pours out his love and connection. And the fall is our act of will going, we're not that interested in you, God. We're not that interested in your plans. You see, we're pretty smart. We like to do things our own way. We like to be in charge. We love control and power. And so, God, when you give us rules, what we would like to tell you is we're pretty good at creating our own rules, right? And so what we see in Genesis and we see throughout the scriptures is this decision that human beings make over and over again to choose their own plan over God's. We would refer to that as sin. That just means missing the mark. That means choosing our own path over God's path. And as a result of that, what happened when we used to be walking side by side, we took the wrong trail. And the further, human history, the further we continued to walk, the further we got away from God. And so God created us to be in perfect relationship with him. And as a result of our own behavior, our own sin, our own act of our own will, we disconnected all that. And so this is really easy to understand because every time you shed a tear, every time you get angry at the injustices of this world, all you are doing is telling yourself, this is not the way it was meant to be. In other words, there was a better world for us to exist in. There wasn't supposed to be pain. There wasn't supposed to be sorrow. When you cry tears of sadness as a result of sickness or death, what you're saying is it's not supposed to be this way. And God would agree. You see, we, don't, we live in a world, not in the world that God originally designed, but in the world that we started charting our own paths with, and we started going further and further away from God. And so as a result of this, act of God's will creates it all, right? Act of our will, we mess it all up. And what you're going to see is throughout the scriptures, these just kind of happen to be the stair steps. God steps in, act of his will, things get good. The human beings step back in, act of their will, things get bad. And so as a result of this, there is this huge chasm between us and God. That's why we cry tears of sadness when things bad happen. That's why we look at our world and go, this is, this is just messed up. And if that were the end of the story, it'd be really, really sad. But that's not the end of the story of the Bible, not the end of the story of the Pentateuch, and not the end of the story in Exodus. What we find next is this really, really most beautiful thing. Remember, act of God's will created all this. Act of our will messed it all up. And then what the Bible tells us is there'll be another act of God's will. And in that act, what happens is God steps onto our planet and redeems us. You see, what we understand here, and all religion will tell you this, right, that if there is a creator God, there's no way as a result of our flaws and our brokenness that we could connect to God because we have nothing in common. In fact, Aristotle, brilliant philosopher, understood that uh, and would argue that, that the world's fallen and understood that there needs to be some kind of reunification with the creator, the deity, right? But he argued there's no way that human beings could be in relationship with creator God because in order to have a relationship, you know what you need? Commonality, right? When you build friendships, you're finding out where each other work, what kind of sports teams you like, right? Some of you literally are just friends because you both hate the Cowboys, right? Just one thing you have in common so y'all can be friends, 
right? You both like to climb poles and scream, yay, eagles, right? You have these things in common. And so as a result of commonality, you can have friendship and relationship. And Aristotle's like, but we can't have commonality with a creator God. We can't speak things into existence. We don't have all power and, and all wisdom. And yet, the picture of the story of redemption and act of God's will is exactly that. The God of the universe, who always was, sends the triune God, his son, to earth. And what does he do? He puts on a human body. Why? All of a sudden, we have commonality with this creator God. And so God becomes a human. And then it says the wages of our sin is death, meaning all of us are broken. There is no hope for us. And yet the gift of God is eternal life. So when you look at that passage, what we see is we see a wage or a consequence. And what the Bible tells us is as a result of our flawed human brokenness, there is a consequence for us to pay. And that consequence is eternal death, eternal disconnection from God. And yet, the word redemption means to buy back, and, but the gift of God is eternal life. Meaning Jesus steps in, takes our place on a cross, and then buys us back. Why? So that we can be reunited, right? Act of God's will creates it. Act of our will messes up. Act of God's will literally brings it all back. In fact, even when we see Jesus in his human form, in that commonality, we see his struggle with all this. And you know what he says right before he dies? Father, I don't want to do this. And my human will, I can't handle this. Act of a human will. God, I, I cannot take this. Would you please take this cup for me? But if you understand those passages, you know what comes next. But not my will, but God, your will be done. In other words, God had to do all the work to redeem us, right? So act of God's will creates it all. Act of our will messes it all up. And act of God's will brings it all back which is where we find ourselves in the story of Exodus. So um, what happened is God gave them a lot of influence, uh, a lot of wealth, a lot of livestock, all these things through one of their patriarchs. His name was Joseph. So they find themselves in Egypt living their best life. Then over the course of about four, three, 400 years, that life continues to be uh, held in bondage as a result of their own decisions, right? Act of God's will. He gave them a good life, good place to live, good family, all those things, a good nation, and then as a result of their own behavior of the next 400 years and the result of the behavior of the people around them, act of human will, we find the Israelites in complete captivity. So they found themselves in this place where they're now serving the Egyptians in the land of Egypt, in the nation of Egypt, and they're being persecuted, right? You go back to the last couple of weeks, you can hear through the sermons of how Pharaoh hated them, didn't want them to thrive, and so started killing the firstborn, right? And so all this stuff, they find themselves disconnected and fallen. Don't have time to go through all that today, but find themselves in this place. And then God, in an act of his will, figures out the craziest way. He offers some plagues, and then this Passover story, where he comes in and redeems, buys back his people, and then is now going to lead them into the promised land. Now, where we're about to see them is where they get that freedom, and they're about to head up to a place in absolute desperation, and they're going to come to this massive sea, the Red Sea. And God, in the act of his will, opens it all up. So in just a second, I'm going to read that story to you. But here's a, a, a quick review via um, Jewish social media. Here goes.
So we find um, the Israelites are now being freed. Now, obviously, that's a lighthearted approach to it. Uh, the reality is, uh, as we look at even that Egyptian firstborn club and hundreds of thousands of folks die, it's, it's a painful experience and even consider and imagine that for them, you know, even if they were turning their back on God, the amount of pain and suffering they had to be in and to have that experience. And so two things I'd offer there. One, we, we kind of covered that last week, so if you weren't here, I'd go back and listen to that sermon, um, clcfamily.church. Uh, but the other thing I just would point out is as a result of the act of human will, it always, always, the act of human will on its own in, um, in defiance to God always leads to death. Now, it might take a while. It might be all those things, but it is looming for all of us as we continue to chart our own path. So here's what's going to happen today. Just want you to know. Don't want you to feel manipulated in it. I am going to do my best through the scriptures to try to convince you that the best option for your life, both to get us out of the pain that we've lived in and to get us into the joy that God has to us, has for us, the, the best option is for you to take bold, faithful steps and surrender to God, right? Not because I want something from you, sincerely mean this, but it's because I really do want something for you. Your best option in this is to um, not just be redeemed, and here's, the, here's kind of the terms I want you to understand, but there is this, this first step, right? This first step is an act of God's will saves us, redeems us, right? This gets us out of the trouble we deserve, okay? That's what I would define as mercy. Mercy is not having to pay the consequences that you should have to pay, so in Lamentations, it tells us his mercies are new every morning. That means every day when we wake up, God doesn't punish us the way that we deserve to be punished. So mercy is not having to pay the price that you deserve to pay. Mercy is getting out of trouble, right? But there's another term we talk about, and it's the term grace. And if mercy is getting out of trouble, grace is getting into the things that God had in store for us from the beginning. So mercy is getting out of trouble. Grace is getting into the blessing that God has offered us, right? So mercy is not having to pay the consequences we deserve to pay. Grace is getting good gifts we don't deserve to get. You follow me? And so when we look at the story of the Bible, the creation, fall, redemption, act of God's will, act of our will, act of God's will, what this does is he buys us back from the consequences we deserve to pay. So he doesn't make us pay that, right? We get out of trouble. This is getting out of Egypt. But we can't just get out of Egypt, you're going to see out of Egypt is not the solution for all this, right? This is where I would argue that most of us live our life. We live in this place where we're just trying to get out of trouble. But that's not the best life. When Jesus says he came to give us life, he said life to the fullest. So it's not just about getting out of trouble. It's about the getting into the blessing. And so that is the piece where we'd say not only an act of God's will are we redeemed, but as a result, we get to then surrender in an act of our own will back to God and say, God, please use us. God, please have your way. God, please allow me to participate in the world that you initially created, and that's where the blessings are. So two different pieces we're going to look at today are how do we receive the redemption God offers us, right? And then how do we participate in the restoration that God has? Sorry, some of the, there you go. That's just how it's going to be, okay? There it is. So let me start here first. Act of God's will. He redeems us. Let me show you how that happens for the Israelites as they're freeing slavery. And they're running. So what just happened in the scriptures is the firstborn was killed of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh in that moment, just in deep pain, it literally said that there was just was wailing in the whole city. Pharaoh goes, get these people out of here. Go, go, go. So all these folks, they grab their stuff. They grab their matzah and they just head out, right? So they're just on, they're, like they're getting, their matzah is like their, their kind bar, their smoothie in the morning. They just grab it and they're, they're heading out, right? And as they're heading out, um, Pharaoh has a change of mind. He's like, no, no, we can't let them go. They should die, right? And so now he sends his whole army after these Israelites. So let me just read to you um, what's going on here. I'm in Exodus chapter, uh, let's see, I think I'm in here somewhere. Here we go. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. Here's what it says. As Pharaoh approached, so he's now chasing after them, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. So they're running, and all of a sudden, they're desperate because they're seeing them come, and they know right in front of them is this massive sea, right? And so they're desperate, and they're not sure what's going to happen, and they have all convinced themselves they're all going to die a miserable death. So watch how they respond to Moses. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? That's what they're going to say. Oh, there's no place to bury us, so you brought us out here so they can slaughter us here, right? These whiny people, right? Um, uh, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? What have you done, Moses? Like, there, you, know, you see this. They just got freed from slavery. 
But they're in their fear. They're now second-guessing this belief they had that God would come through, right? Know that story. God, I'm going to trust you fully. I'm going to lean fully in. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, what did I do? Why did I do that? Why would I believe in this fiction, fictional imaginary God? Right? So thanks, Moses. Now we're all going to die. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. No, no, Moses, we don't want this. Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And now all of a sudden we get an understanding of human behavior, right? You want the, the kind of the, the controlling modality for us, like the controlling objective that we live in? It's just one thing. All of us, self-preservation. Most of the decisions we make are just trying to preserve our life, which is so messed up. Because the big goal for us in life is just to arrive safely at death. Like that's, we just want to get there. We want to wait as long as possible to get there, right? And we want to die as comfortably as possible with all of our family around, really safe, really comfortable. And that becomes the, the great goal of life. I mean, we think it's to obtain things and acquire things and then have things and consume things. But all of us, as we get older and older, realize none of that satisfies. So it becomes this new thing. Let's just preserve our life for as long as possible. And so what we see right here with Moses as people, as he's going, we just want to, have our lives preserved, right? We'd rather be slaves and live than be faced with this fear of death. <laughs> Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. Don't worry, you deserve death. God's going to free you, so just stand firm, be confident. And watch what else he says. Um, the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again, okay? And then here's a pretty verse. We like this one. I'll offer it as a really good one. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Okay. So this is, again, act of God's will, not our will. God's going, my work, your witness. I'm not trying to tell you to slaughter or fight the Egyptians. I'm just asking you to be still. And that is a great verse for some of you. I don't like the verse because I don't really like to be still, right? So it's not, it's not one of my favorite things. And so this is one of those verses that actually frustrate me because you're like, you don't need to do anything. Just relax. And I'm like gritting my teeth and chipping my teeth and, and making sure I don't say anything out loud to you that would be inappropriate because only God hears my thoughts. They're only inappropriate to him, right? And so, um, so I, I get really frustrated at this verse because I, I've always thought that some people use it as an excuse to be lazy, okay? 99% of you, that's not the case. You're just growing in your faith and you understand that God's the one that's doing the work and it's really, really amazing. But for those 1% of you that actually are just lazy, Here's the next verse. Love this one. Watch this. Here's the next verse. <laughs> the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Let me go get to the tattoo parlor. That one's going on my arm. And then next. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? There's no crying in Israel like Jewish baseball, right? Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Okay, you see in this? So one verse says, just be still. The very next verse, God says, Quit your whining and get up and go. Okay, well, how do we reconcile these two verses, right? Because there, there's got to be some reconciliation. God just told them to be still, and the next verse he tells them to go. Is God crazy? No, what you see here is this isn't a problem you get to solve. You don't get to solve the problem as do I do work or do I sit still. You don't get to solve that problem. That is not a problem to solve. That's a tension you always have to manage. And you know how you manage it? By sitting still long enough to get God's clear call to you. And by that, I mean through his word. Not that he's just going to come audibly say something to you. What I mean is sitting still long enough to read and get to know God. And then when you hear from him, when he gives you a command, you're supposed to obey. You know what, how we know this? Delayed or partial, partial obedience isn't real. It's still disobedience, right? You have kids. You've told them to clean their room. They do it a month later. We don't celebrate that. Why? Delayed obedience is disobedience. If you ask them to clean the whole room and they just stuff everything under the bed and put a couple of clothes in their drawers, right? That's, that's still partial obedience, still disobedience. So what we see in this moment is they're sitting still and God's going, but I've actually told you to go, so therefore your best option is to go. So let me get it in perspective of Mary and Martha, right? You know the story. Martha's doing work. Mary's sitting at the feet. And God tells Martha she's wrong. Mary's right. She's doing the, the chief thing, right? And so here's an offer. Please don't serve on behalf of God till you've sat at his feet. But if you sit at his feet long enough, you won't be able to help 
but serve God, right? Because as you get his perspective of the world and you see people the way that he sees people, it changes and transforms your heart to the point where you actually do want to care for other people. So this is a, this is a tension you manage. Yep, just don't go do, do, do all the time, right? And some of you are giggling about that shame on you, right? So don't do that all the time, right? Instead, be still. Understand it's God's fight. Understand it's his work. Understand it's his story. And then figure out where you're supposed to be in the story and then go do that, right? So Moses, he says to Moses, quit your crying and go, right? Go, move on. Verse 16, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go to the sea on dry ground. Beautiful passage. And there's all sorts of, you know, great conversation about scientifically what God would have to have done, how that would have happened for another day. But what we see right here is all these Israelites go from where they were to where God wanted them to be. Sort of. Okay? So what's going to happen is they're going to get into dry land. They're going to celebrate what God did because they were destined to a life of enslavement as a result of their behavior, an act of their will, but an act of God's will, a supernatural act, right? Brings them out of slavery and captivity. So it gets them out of what they deserved. Gets them out of that. God is rich in mercy in this moment. So you see this happen, and it's a great moment to celebrate. But what you're about to see, and we'll cover it the next several weeks. I'm just going to give you the whole picture today, and then we'll go back and look at some of their time in the wilderness. Is you're going to see this entire generation of people live as nomads in a land that doesn't belong to them. In fact, what should have been an 11-day journey for them to get from where they were to where God wanted them to be, like get into the blessing, it's called the promised land, the land that God promised and gave to his people. What should have taken 11 days, could have taken 11 days, instead takes 40 years. And it's actually all these people grumbling and moaning in this moment that goes, no, no, we, we got out of here, but we want nothing else. We're not, we're not looking for anything else. We just want to live. We don't want to die. A whole generation of people operating in self-preservation whole generation of people who received God's redemption and then, as an act of their will, decided that that was enough for them. So it should have taken 11 days, and they should have enjoyed the fruits of what God was going to do for them. Instead, 40 years, and the entire generation died off. Entire generation. So it's the, these, these people's kiddos, their kids, that get to experience all this, right? And I just want to be very blunt with you guys here. As your pastor— what I want more than anything for every single one of you, regardless of your age, is for you to get to experience that crossing over, to get to experience all that God has for you, not live in the redemptive world that says God saves, God saves, hooray, but in the world that says God is a good father and gives only good gifts, to live in this restored world. And frankly, I would not say, yeah, I'll say it. I, yeah, I think this is from the Lord. Uh, now, when I say it's from the Lord, if it's not coming from a scripture, I'll just be very honest with you. I'm only about 70, 80% certain, so I don't have this, like, perfect, you know, telephone connection with God. But I would say with, you know, a good degree of certainty, just in my gut, in my time with the Lord, that I actually think this school year, okay, which is amazing, because it's tomorrow, that's why I thought it was really important that we jump into this. This school year is this moment, this this new Jewish calendar that's coming to play. You can look at the calendar. This, these moments as we're beginning this school year, I really do believe this is that year for us, that year of living to the fullness of this, right? That's why when we look at the end of next month, uh, September 22nd, September 29th, those Saturdays, we'll be offering preview services, which still part of the other part of this today is to convince you that you should still join hands with us and jump in because we're adding an additional opportunity for people to go to church just Saturday night at 5. So as you notice in this room, it gets pretty full. The parking lot gets pretty full. Kids zone gets really full. Uh, so we're trying to create more space in preparation for wholeheartedly what I believe God is not going to do in our church. Hear me but in our community and in our world through the people in our church. You got that? Not what he's going to do in our church, but what he's going to use us for, use you for to transform our schools, transform our community, transform our government, transform your workplace. I think that's what God has for us. And that's more than just dying on a cross for you, right? That's just more than just not making you pay the price that you deserve to pay. That's inviting you in on the best story ever, right? And this should matter to you, particularly if you— a lot of us have this experience, I do for sure, where I'm a Christian, and I know I'm a Christian, but I'm like, I thought, just thought it was going to look different. Like, you had that moment, maybe it's the goosebumps, you walk through the Red Sea, hooray, God, you're so good, thank you so much. 
And, that's, and we just celebrate that like that's the end of the race. Hooray, yay, you prayed the prayer, became a Christian. And in fact, the reality is that is just, that's the, that's the gunshot to start the race, right? Now you get to jump into all this stuff. And so if you've been wondering, kind of thinking, I think I'm a Christian now, I think I believe in Jesus, but I don't really know what to do next. Well, here you go. Here's what's next for all of us, and we'll give you some steps on it. So what happens over the next 40 years, you see it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, this whole Pentateuch, is that these guys just waste their life and end up in the grave. Yep, they were saved by God. They were redeemed, but they never got into what God had for them. They got out of what God, with the punishment that they deserve, but in an act of their own will, they decided to stay where they were. They even sent spies to this new land and convinced themselves in self-preservation not to go. And so it's a sad story, and you get to the end of, uh, end of these passages in the Pentateuch, and we find that Moses dies, and he's put in the grave on the other side where he could see what God had in store but never got to experience it. And then um, his, his understudy, the next guy, great name, by the way, Joshua, which is the Hebrew word for Yeshua, which is the Greek name for Jesus. I mean, this is, this is profound. And so the name that when you call Jesus, his Hebrew name was actually Joshua, just translates as Jesus in the Greek, this mighty warrior, this next guy. So this guy is kind of a predecessor showing what God is going to do for his people through Jesus, right? And so Joshua is about to now lead his people into this place. Remember, um, mercy is getting out of uh, not having to pay what we deserve, so it's getting out of trouble. Grace is getting into something God has for us, and so now we're about to see this gracious God use Joshua and his people to enter that place, and so I just want to read to you the passage that gets them there. By the way, this is the second time they'll walk through a raging water on dry land, so it's pretty neat that we get to see this. Your kiddos are spending most of the time talking about the Red Sea, so you can talk to them today about that the redemption that God offers through that, but then point them to what God has in store for your family through the restoration. Here goes Joshua chapter 3. So Joshua Joshua's just talked to God. Now he's about to give these people kind of some directions on how they can bend themselves, surrender themselves, surrender their will to God. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Here's what it says. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Hear me. When I tell you that I think God's up to something this year, this is a different Joshua telling you today, hey, it's time to prepare. It's a, it's a time for us to consecrate, which means to set apart our lives to make holy. The way that I would describe it is if you start, to, when you're pregnant and you're expecting a child, particularly for those of you who found out what sex it was, or either way, you decided that you would start preparing. You know how you go when you get that nursery ready and you're imagining and you're doing all the work for the day that the blessing shows up? That's like, con that's consecrating. The work that's being done and preparing a nursery for the child, that's what we're doing right now. That's what that board out there in the lobby is going, hey, we need all of you to sign up and we need you to sign up multiple times. And if you're already serving, we want your name up there so we can pray for you and celebrate you. So uh, this is us saying, we got to prepare ourselves for what God has prepared for us. So consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass it on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them, right? So uh, the Ark of the Covenant was kind of where they kept all of God's promises. So in that would have been the Ten Commandments. It had been this big, gold-encrusted uh, box. Like, you know how teachers that don't have classrooms, they kind of move that, you know, that little, little desk with all their stuff in it, station to station. You know what I'm talking about? This was like, they didn't have a church. They didn't have any of those things. So they were just moving station to station. Right? You're going to see them actually over the next couple of weeks. You'll see where they build this tabernacle to, to celebrate uh, God and thank him for his sacrifices. And so this was this, they were a nomadic people. And so the place that held all of God's promises and blessings was there. And he had the priests. These are the, the kind of the church leaders. These are the pastors amongst the, the, the Israelites. He had them go first. And so they're there. And he says, I want you to take that covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So get in front of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today, I will bring, uh, begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. So God's going, hey, Joshua, I'm going to make sure they trust and know that this is my anointing on you. So you see that going on. But the other thing, Joshua, here is I'm going to make sure they know that it's actually me doing the work, right? This is important. Hey, Joshua, God, I'm going to use you, but you're not the special one. You're not the clever one. There's nothing you can actually do to save your people. You're not smart enough, more uh, sinless enough, not perfect enough. There's nothing in you that's going to help them. 
kingdom. It's going to be me using you. It's going to be me using your people. That's all it is. This isn't clever. This isn't gimmicks. This isn't good marketing. It's all me, Joshua. I mean, this is what God's saying to Joshua. Tell a priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Watch this. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now, what you're about to see about this river, so is it, it says it's in flood stages. This is like, like type five rapids or worse. This is not something you want your kids, you know, you don't want them within 100 feet of this because their feet get in this, they're swept up. This is a massive current. This is, so this is interesting. He goes, go and stand in the river. In fact, you're going to see in a couple passages where it says, go put your bare soles of your feet onto the water. Like, go do that. Like, that's what you're seeing in all this. And so in this moment, he's telling the priest to basically go, go jump in the water. Go give up your life, right? This is, this is suicide treatment. This is a step that they cannot take back. So either God comes through or they die. Particularly if you're holding this massive Ark of the Covenant with other people. I mean, this is, this is horrific. When you step in, you're going to slip on that rock. That thing's, you know, destroying you. So this is pretty significant. This isn't, oh, they're just going to dip their toes in the water, right? And so uh, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. So these are all the people on the other side that Joshua's really afraid of. These are the people that they think are going to destroy them. Right? This, this is the pieces of their fear. This is the but what if God. Okay, God, I'm going to really give you my life this year. I'm going to start praying with my family. I'm going to start whatever it is. But what if, God, what if I mess up? What if they find that out? What if? I mean, this is the what if part. So Joshua and his people have these what ifs, these fears they have. God, what if I actually start trusting you with my finances? What if I don't have enough? I mean, these are all these fears that people have. What if I start serving and I don't have enough time for other things? Like, these are all the fears, all the fears. And so God says to Joshua, I'm going to take care of all those fears. When we get to the other side, those fears will no longer be there. They're here now because you're on this side. But when you get on that side, those fears are gone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe them out. Right? Now, that's just gonna be, you're going to have an experience where you're going to say, wow, even the folks in Jericho who we were afraid of, you're going to take care of us, God. And so he's going, their fears are here. But when you get into that, you're not going to experience that fear because I'm going to be with you and I'm going to conquer it. Right? So he tells them all this in verse 13. Uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 11. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. All the earth will go in the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. That's what it says in verse 12. And so you have this experience where he says, okay, go ahead. And now what I want you to do is I want you to start identifying leaders. Really important. This is more um, practical. It's actually biblical too. This is kind of where we are as a church. Hey, we, we're seeing seven, 800 people in this room every, or every single Sunday. There's about 130. 50 kiddos. That's a lot of kids to take care of, a lot of responsibility there. That's a lot of cars in the parking lot. We got to figure out how to help all these people do those things. So, hey, can we start delegating and having responsible people? That's us trying to figure that out with you. You'll hear that more in the next couple weeks. Verse 13, as soon as the priests, watch this, who carry the ark of the Lord, okay, as soon as the priests carry the ark of the Lord, um, the Lord of all the earth. So you understand, as soon as God, the ark of these priests, take my promises with them, right? In that confidence, as soon as that, that, that as they do this, this, the Lord of all creation, uh, set foot in the Jordan. Now, this is put their feet in. This is, has, if you read the English Standard Version, puts their bare soles of their feet, is how it says it there, right? Put the bare soles of their feet in the water. Um, it's water flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Okay, so this is different. Remember before, it was Moses, pull out your staff. He separates the waters, makes a very clear path, right? In the act of his will, he opens up the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry land. This one's different. You see what's different here? This isn't, hey, God will do all the work ahead of time, and then, then, you'll, then you'll just know, right? And here's what we say. We say it all the time. I will, I'll do that. I'm just waiting for God to work out all the details, Right? So that's going, we'll do the thing if God will just open the sea ahead of us, right? That's God's redemption. That's how God makes sure you understand you're going to pay the consequences that you deserve to pay. But the way by which you do this, it actually tells us in the New Testament, the way by which God is pleased is actually through our faith. Faith is not something you think. Faith is something you do, okay? Faith is not something you think. It's not something you believe. It's something you do. So you can say all day long, you believe that bungee cord will hold you if you jump but you don't see the power of the bungee cord until someone jumps, right? So faith is something you do. And so what that means is, while God is perfect and omnipotent, this is so messed up to me. 
He's, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But there is something in the scriptures you see over and over again that God's omnipotence seems to be activated. It's always there. It's always available. But God's omnipotence seems to be activated through our obedience. Over and over again, God is always doing the work. He's bending and shaping it. He's ahead of us. But somehow there's something in this that when we obey, he gets activated to jump in. So what we see throughout the scriptures, and you see right here with these priests, is they take a step they can't take back. It's an irreversible step. And I would just tell you, and this would seem unreasonable and inappropriate to offer you if I weren't that confident in God. I will just tell you that the places that I've always seen God come through are not when I've waited for him to work out the details, but when I took a step I couldn't come take back. Right? I mean, as they take that step in the water, they're either dying or God comes through. That's an irreversible step. And when I've seen God show up, particularly in this restoration piece, yep, God's like, hey, God, trust me with your life. And so we, we do that. We go, God, thank you for paying the price for our sins. And, but the Bible tells us whoever calls on the name of the Lord is the one who's saved, meaning whoever acknowledges that God's boss. And so in those moments where you're acknowledging God as the boss, God, you've told me to do this. And either it's going to work or I'm going to fall flat on my face. And you go, well, how do you know? How do you know? Two things. One, his scriptures are pretty clear. And, or three things. The second one is, uh, stay connected to a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church. Right? If, if the pastor is telling you they're the bright one, they know all the stuff, then I would be really, really leery of that. I would say, if they hold up this and point to it and go, we follow Jesus because he's the hero of the story, then I'd find some trust in that. And so first, uh, uh, his word is what it tells us. Second, his teachings help form that. And the third one is just this. This is so, so good to me. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus starts out with the Sermon on the Mount, his greatest sermon, he decides to acknowledge some attributes and some benefits of some attributes of, of people. And you know what he says? He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Notice this. It doesn't say the brilliant, the smart, the clever, the ones with the good plans, the one that's thought the whole thing through. None of that. You know what he says are the ones who see God? The ones with the purity of heart. So here's what I'd offer. That means if your objective in stepping into the, the raging rivers, if your objective is merely to please God with your pure heart, if you're going, God, I'm not even sure this is you, but if but I think it is, and the only thing I want, I don't want credit, I don't want success, I'm not asking for you to guarantee any of those things. I just want to see you, right? And so the reality is, you can take these leaps of faith, and God will still be pleased by the purity of your heart, regardless of what that leap of faith was. And so in this moment, God, they get real clarity from God. And here's the last thing I'll say about that. Sorry, I just feel like I need to. I don't really think that's your problem. I don't really think it's that you don't know what to do. I think that's the hang-up. And I think I just may have a, given you permission to go, okay, God, I'm not really sure now. I'm not sure if my heart's pure. You know, got all these new, new nuances and formulas to think about. Think out about. I think the reality is I think every single person in this room knows they should take a next step. And the fear is what's holding you back, not the clarity of what you need to do. So anyway, I just felt like it needed to be said. So that's what happens in this moment. So as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its water slowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. You see that. Um, So when the people broke camp uh, to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Remember? Act of God's will creates life for us. Act of our will, first time, wrecks us. Act of God's will now brings us back into relationship with him. And then we get this new opportunity to go, God, I still would like to surrender my will to you. These priests are going, okay, oh, God, this isn't what I would do, but not my will, but your, you know, so I'm going to submit my will, submit my desires, because I didn't do it before. I did my own thing. So no longer, God, do I want it to be about my will. I'm just going to take my whole will, and I'm going to give it to you and call you Lord. And so my decision is to give you my will, right? And so these priests step into this flowing water. It's either death or life that's about to happen for them. And as they surrender their will to God, we see this next step. We see the beginning process of them getting to experience all the blessings and all the restoration. Uh, uh, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. So one understand the danger here. Yes, yeah, as soon as the priest who carry the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Pay very careful attention to this. It piled up in a heap. 
a great distance away. By the way, that way was 16 miles. At a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people cut, crossed over opposite Jericho. So I've taught this, I don't know, 50 times. In fact, one of the normal passages we talk about as we plan a church is this idea of taking that irreversible step. What is it for you? How do you, how do you put your bare souls at the feet? In fact, preach preached it once and invited um, everybody in our church. We basically talked to, you know, not real affluent, but affluent enough that, um, that right now a really, really nice thing they could do to take an irreversible step is there are people all over this world that don't have shoes. So we invited an entire church at the end of the service during the last song to take their shoes off and bring them to the altar. I'm not going to do that to you today, I promise. But because some of you are like, I didn't do my toes. Yeah, that's, that's what we're concerned about there. And so just talking about this irreversible step, really this idea of what is God calling you to, and we get to send hundreds and hundreds of pairs of shoes. Actually created this little thing in our community where all the churches and all the schools started gathering all these shoes. It's called Souls for Souls. You might be familiar with the organization. Really, really neat. But in all the times preaching this, this actually yesterday as I was working back through it, this is the first time I've ever noticed this. That it says, it piled up in a great distance away. You see what town it's called? Adam. 16 miles away. You don't need it to pile up that far away. I mean, you're probably good with, you know, a mile. I mean, some of that runoff maybe is why, but you're talking about 16 miles away. This is how far the town is. Why in the world does God, in all his perfection, it's just perfect. Read the scriptures. They're so amazing. They're so nuanced and so rich, right? Why in the world would God decide to capture this story? That's real. And for all, all mankind, for all eternity, even for thousands of years later as we read this, why in the world would it be Adam? You see, here's what's going on here. Remember the original creation story? Who's the one who decided to act on his own will as opposed to God's will? Oh, it was Adam, right? And from that point forward, all the curses, all the mess was, has been running from Adam into us. All the death, all the fear from Adam into us. You follow it? Like everything that's whispered in your head, God's not real. He doesn't really love you. He's disappointed in you. You know where that started? In the garden with Adam. So you have this whole river from that place just pouring into this new city. So God, who's rich in mercy, stops the whole story and says, let me show you what I'm actually stopping. Your fear is coming through the water right now and you just, your, your literal fear is right in front of you. But the real fear that's facing you comes way downstream. And it's been running for infinite years. That river's been flowing since nearly the beginning of time. And so in this moment, as they take that irreversible step, what we see in the scriptures is God literally stops, stops the flow of water. He cuts off the faucet. All the nastiness, all the filth, all that dirty flint-like water. You know what I'm talking about? All that stuff coming into us and poisoning us that came from Adam. God goes, no, 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 no. I didn't just redeem you. I didn't just save you from death. I actually cut off all the horrific things to you. And I rerouted it. No longer does it come through Adam. And now what, what's coming into you? I got you out of it, mercy. Getting it into you. All the blessings. All the stuff. He literally goes, no, no, no. The water doesn't flow from there anymore. Not when my people walk through. Right? Because that stuff's not their stuff anymore. That stuff they can walk completely out of. And it's that step of faith. And that step of faith, they get to walk out of all that stuff. And into the life that God would have for them. And so for me, the reason I told you, we've got to fix this, isn't because I, we need more volunteers. Yeah, that's part of it. Boy, I'd love to see smiling faces help park people. But yeah, that's part of it. But the reality is, your best life is when you take that irreversible step and call Christ Lord. And he shuts down all the nastiness that's been flowing in and towards you and what he puts in front of you. With every act of faith, every step, is blessing after blessing and restoration. So we can celebrate what God did as redemption, but we got to go, okay, we're ready to start running now, and we can just trust that every spot along the race, God's going to offer us his sustenance, and we're going to see his blessing, right? Because that's the story of the gospel. Not just that he, he saves us, but he rewrites our story back into the original creation story, and so the world that isn't, that should be, we now get to start making it that way again. And his, the poison that was before us, God is fighting for that. He is protecting that, and he has shut it down. You just got to decide to walk in the place where that water is. Now, you can walk back up to Adam if you want to. I just wouldn't recommend it. 
And this is what it says next, verse 17. The priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation. See that? Whole nation. Not only is the story of restoration for your blessing, this is the method by which God restores all people. The whole nation all began with the first two that stepped. And so I had to say, hey, if you're not confident in taking that first leap, find someone here, who here is and follow them. Right? And so a whole nation was blessed. While Israel passed into the whole nation, they completed the crossing on dry ground. So what we're going to do here is we're going to continue to be a people who t- steps into the water, watches it part, and gives confidence to the people behind us. Right? So we feel very clearly that God has told us to make it simple for our entire community. That's everyone within 10 miles of here. Make it simple for them to connect to Jesus and to one another. So another service, more volunteers, all that's a part of it. And maybe your next irreversible step is actually grabbing one of those cards out there, writing your name on it, and putting it in a slot and going, I don't, I don't even know what to do with a three-year-old, but I'll try. I don't even know what it looks like to park. But if the next right step is just to walk into your blessing, oh, I'll, I'll do whatever that is. And so I double-dogged area to take that step there. Or maybe it's another one. Maybe it's actually writing a check for the first time and going, here, man, I'm not trying to get your money in any way, but I do want you to get God's blessing going, God, I've, I've never trusted you with this, but today I'm going to. Maybe that's it, right? Maybe it's that you need to call that person that's in a, you're in a horrific relationship with and go, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I just want to tell you I forgive you. Whatever it is, whatever that next step is, that means we shut down Adam and walk into the freedom. want that for you. So what's going to happen is the band is going to come up here and sing and they're going to sing about a God who parts the water so we can walk right through. And the, the, the claim of the song, and you'll, you'll recognize it, is I am no longer a slave to fear. No, no, Adam doesn't touch me anymore, right? Those whispers don't happen to me anymore because God shut down the water and I stepped into where God called me to. I'm no longer a slave of fear. Because why? Because I'm a child of God. God welcomes us back into his community. Not only does he protect us from death, he goes, oh, come on, you're mine now. Come on, you're mine now. And he makes us his children. He gets us out of out of what we deserve, death and slavery and bondage, and gives us what we don't deserve, freedom and son and daughtership, right? And so would you stand with me as we sing, and I'm going to pray for us.